interesting before. Now it's interesting. <laughs> so that there's some <laughs> Sorry, research. Sorry, listeners, you had to sit through 30 <laughs> minutes of boredom. boring stuff. But now it's exciting. Now it's exciting. <laughs> now we get to bid for people. <laughs> oh, uh, yikes. I know, it's that's really. What, that's what, yeah, right? It's, that's what they do. Yeah, and so it means. Hello, and welcome to Inconclusive, the podcast where we randomly select topics and argue about them. Coming up, Inconclusive. My name is James. My name is Abigail. And my name is Candace. All three of us are educators at an international school in Taiwan and bring wildly different perspectives to the table. It is important to note that our individual opinions do not necessarily reflect those of our employer. Okay, let's begin. Hello, and welcome back to episode three of the series on justice. What is up? Today, we are going to be talking about um, private prisons, specifically in the U.S. Um, As I was doing research for this, there's uh, quite a few developed countries that have private prisons, um, but we will be focusing specifically on the ones in the U.S. today. So to start, I am going to define what a private prison is. A private prison is run or owned by a corporation holding contracts with the federal or state government to house citizens who are already convicted of a crime or immigrant detainees who are being processed for deportation. So before we go any farther, I think as kind of has been our norm recently, I want to ask what your knee-jerk reactions, Candace and James, are to the concept of private prisons. I feel like I've kind of cheated on this because uh, you've talked about your research for the last week or so. And every time we've talked, you've said, oh, my gosh, I read something else about private prisons that made me angry. So I've already been kind of chewing on the idea for a while. And my my crazy idea with this is that if there is a privatized prison, then there should be unions within the prison. That it should be legal to have unions, that if it's a company running a prison for labor, to keep like from for the prisoners to have a prisoners, prisoners union to negotiate terms exactly oh. like that they mm-hmm. that that how like, very how very uh, not free market of you just kidding it's it feels like it would help some of the problems that I already know are we're, we're going to discuss with the the downfall of private prisons what comes out of treatment of prisoners whenever the state isn't watching hmm. I think I have two initial thoughts my first initial thought is feel like prisons aren't supposed to be good places anyways because mm. they're full of criminals um doesn't mean we should like go out of our way to mistreat them or be inhumane but that's my first initial i mean i, I haven't i haven't been there when you guys have discussed it so i'm not really sure i'm sure we'll find out how bad these are um my second initial thought is I wonder what makes it bad, the fact that it's a prison or the fact that it's private. And I'm curious if there are any private prisons that are run really well. Um, and, and what do you mean by well? As in make a lot of money or wealth, good, good and well for the prisoners? Well, I mean, if it's for profit, you ideally, if it's private, you want it, you don't want to lose money. Right. Right? Because or otherwise your prison gets shut down. Presumably, unless you get government funding, because then, then you're a public pr- public federal prison or state prison. But I feel like if it's run well, then it's you don't have the problems of whatever bad treatment or whatever exploitative things are going on. So, yeah, th- I mean, I don't know a lot, but those are my, my ideas. Um, something you brought up 
that is kind of interesting. There are both federal and state private prisons. Oh. The, we'll, we'll talk more kind of about the timeline actually in just a second. But the reason that the federal prisons started to kind of go private was because in, with the intention of if the feds start, usually states follow. And so mm. the push with... Um, with the like president's privatization plan mm -hmm. um, in the 80s was to get a federal, one of the things was to get a federal private prison run so that way more states would be inclined to have their own private prisons. Mm. Um, but actually to start, I kind of want to go through a timeline because one of the the long papers I read about this, the first one I read was kind of actually the um, sociological background of the states, kind of starting in the 60s that led up to the first private prison in the 80s, and then kind of talked a little bit through the 90s about some of the stuff that was happening in America that was causing, just the ripe for this. Yeah, yeah. I love timelines. So in the 1960s, there was a really strong push to strengthen laws that punished criminals and therefore the removal of rehabilitation from the purpose of the legal system. That happened in the mid to late 70s, or 60s, excuse me, where initially and prior to that, there was the idea of you go to prison, you serve your time, you change, you come out, you benefit society on the end. But during the 60s, there was a push where we don't know that you're really changing. We think that people are still being very, you know, aren't, it's not working, rehabilitation needs to go, and we just want to be safe. Do you feel like that, was that movement in response to a rise in crime, or was it just kind of stuff staying the same? Um, like, it seems kind of out of the blue if nothing's wrong with the system. From what I was understanding as I was reading through it, it had a lot to do with some of, like, the hippie movement. Like, oh, you're see. irredeemable. Because it was a push from conservatives to have people locked up and, and not be rehabilitated for retribution purposes. Came from, like, the conservative pro-war side of that fight. And so I think it was in response, my understanding is that it was in response more to that, to the movement of people with ideological differences who were being seen as dangerous. Was it at all connected to the civil rights movement too, since this would have been in the, the, the heat of the civil rights movement? Yeah. Um, a lot conflict. of this, a lot of the stuff that happened with prisons is, has a very like racist origins, like going back, I mean, going back, way farther um, than the 60s. But a lot of it was fear that people who were doing anything perceived as, as illegal, right? I mean, breaking in houses or whatever, right? Whatever is being happened, you can't be rehabilitated and it makes us afraid to think that you're gonna be back. So a mm. push to go for yeah. retributive purposes started in the 60s. But I feel like there is also, I mean, yeah, that's, that's I, guess I'm, I guess I'm not disagreeing with you on that, but I think it's also, I don't know if this is true, but like kind of the Cold War mentality at this point was like there are people who are out to destroy the free world, mm. you know, quote, free yeah. world. And so like people who are like communists and a lot of people thought that hippies were communists because yeah. mm. that's why they didn't want to defend right. freedom and mm. democracy and all this with kind the of Vietnam stuff. Vietnam War. Right, and they didn't want to fight, and then there are people who are trying to drum up this civil rights movement, not mm -hmm. saying it was a bad thing, but, like, you know, people who are afraid of people who are trying to topple the Western democratic systems mm. 
yeah, there was probably a lot of fear around that. I really like that you brought up that, though, the this Cold War mentality, because in the 70s, people were imprisoned at higher rates for ideological beliefs than for crime. So that's where you yeah. were starting to get communists the and Red Scare. Yeah, you should, yeah. Anti- if you're Bernie Sanders, you actually would oh, for sure. get locked up. Yeah. Anyone who wasn't pro-democracy or pro Um, capitalism at that time, Mm -hmm. right? Because of fear, of course, we're becoming... So it was becoming in the 70s was kind of like this beginning of this hotbed of um, we need to punish people who believe differently than us. And we need to punish people who don't have the American mindset. But also during that time, because so many people were being imprisoned because of all of this prison riots started happening very frequently because of overcrowding. So they were being put into cells like that was supposed to house two or housing four to five. I prisoners. hate my cellmate. <laughs> but, but it wasn't Direct that they quote were... from... Uh, <laughs> just kidding. But it wasn't actually that they were fighting with each other. They were rioting against the guards because oh, yeah. there were times where they were like sleeping in hall... People were sleeping in hallways mm. because of how mm. crowded these prisons were. And so that so that's kind of the but backdrop. But they're communists. They should really dig that, you know, living in poverty and... Okay, never mind. So in the <laughs> 80s, and with this all in the backdrop, right? So the 80s comes and Ronald Reagan is starting his campaign in eventual beginning of his presidency. Um, and he came in talking about um, tough on crime policies. We're going to clean up all of the riffraff in the streets, you're going to be safe, we're going to keep them away, and we're going to fix the prison problem. He, at the same time, there was a huge um, scandal on government spending. I didn't spend a lot of time looking at it, so I can't remember either um, Don't who... we have those a lot? <laughs> I, like I mean, it happens so like all the money. time. Honestly, I was reading it and I was like, I feel like I just read that this happened yeah. like like a month ago. Like it was something, it was the same kind of thing. Where yeah. Too much money for toilet seats, I think was the big thing on this one where someone had spent like a thousand dollars on toilet seats In and it was government a government building, building contract and something like that. And so Reagan was coming against that, having just been relieved in the general public, being outraged and also being frustrated about ideological dis- dissidents in the country and he comes uh, in and he starts talking about So they were like we don't want the government to use more money. So he started on talking about a huge talks about reduction in spending. He is also the person who um, kind of set up welfare as a the whole blame on welfare. He was set up the idea of a welfare queen and all of the stealing money from people from social systems. So he was saying that social services systems that are in place to help the impoverished are causing people to be problems. So all of that wasn't a belief until Reagan started campaigning mm. after the scandal, right? And so he was the one who set up the idea of the welfare queen, which of course he's painted a black lady who killed two, three of her husbands and is collecting on all of their social security cards and is uh, buying a Cadillac with the thousands yeah. she's stolen like from the government. Like a caricature to paint it. Yeah, totally. Sure. Which is totally... In a speech? Yeah, like this was one of his things was this woman, this pretend welfare queen that he made up. That's scary. The other thing that happened, um, I I think this was after he became president, was he started the president's privatization task force where he started looking at ways that the... U.S. could start privatizing government things. And in 1983, the first privatized prison opened up. And we'll be right back after this break. (laughs) 
Welcome to Currently Reading with Abigail. Today's book is Shanghai Girls by Lisa C. In 1937, Shanghai is a city of great wealth and glamour. Thanks to the financial security and material comforts provided by their father's prosperous rickshaw business, 21-year-old Pearl Chin and her younger sister May are having the time of their lives. Though both sisters wave off authority and tradition, they couldn't be more different. Pearl is strong and stubborn, while May is adorable and gentle. Both are modern and carefree, until the day their father tells them that he has gambled away their wealth, and that in order to repay his debts, he must sell the girls as wives to suitors who have traveled from California to find Chinese brides. As Japanese bombs fall on their beloved city, Pearl and May try to flee, and they have to brave through the Chinese countryside, in and out of the clutch of brutal soldiers, and across the Pacific to the shores of America. In Los Angeles, they begin a fresh chapter, trying to find love with the strangers they have married and fighting against discrimination. See you next time. Right before the break, we were starting to go over a timeline, and I had kind of talked about um, American mentality in the 60s and 70s and Reagan's platform in the 80s. Um, so the last kind of decade I want to talk about is the 1990s. So in the 1990s... What a great decade. <laughs> Such a long time ago. <laughs> um, in the 1990s, a very strong us versus them mentality started to kind of sit in, us being the general population of safe people and them being the criminals. And mm -hmm. so everything needed to do needed to happen to protect us versus them as in many ways as possible. Um, and at the same time, there was false but strong beliefs that crime rates were very high and that because of these crime rates being very high, which wasn't really the case, it was no higher than it was in the 80s, 70s, or 60s. They were, they were pretty close to the same. But because of these beliefs that crime rates were high, that the general population really needed to be protected. And so there, there was that, that, just that strengthening of that mentality of whatever needs to happen needs to happen to keep criminals locked away to save, you know, us innocent yeah. people, right? And um, and I mean, that, that... I mean, I feel like that's a valid... I mean, if crime rates are high, I think that's a valid... Oh, yeah. Train, but I, like, think line of I think it's that... So I think the point being the solidifying... It not, it's or, the solidifying of the belief that prisons are for retribution, not for rehabilitation. That people oh, need to like lock up and stay them, there. You yeah, keep them we're not out of, trying to yeah, do anything else. We're not trying else. to bring them back. Okay. Um, hmm. Which is kind of interesting um, when you're starting to kind when you're starting to kind of parse out. Another really interesting thing that happened, kind of in the backdrop pre-private prisons, was there was a very big um, push from for a long time from the the. Um, more liberal side, the more democratic, well, I don't know if it was democratic at the time, but the, the more liberal side more liberal. was trying to push um, rehabilitation back in. And the problem, and this is like, I think this was like back in the 70s. And the problem with that was that they, it was starting to be used as a way to brutalize inmates again. So like, do what you're supposed to be doing or we're going to send you to an electric thought shock or do what you're supposed to be doing or we're going to um, give you an ice bath in or a hot... In the rehabilitation And the rehabilitation facilities? push. Well, because you're talking about oh, the idea of psychological... Oh, you're like trying to condition them? Oh, yeah. oh conditioning right. okay. Came I see, I see. Okay, and okay. So, and so 
ultimately at a certain point like we'll shock you every time you do something wrong at a certain point bipartisan it was like Ford i mean although proud. we want it to be rehabilitation the way that re well the liberal side would be the way that rehabilitation is right now we cannot keep having it yeah. and then we can't mm-hmm. figure out how to fix it and so the conservative side of of retribution ended up winning out Ultimately, and that's how our prison system is set up right now. There is no real rehabilitation services um, other than provided. The, the, like, I think in federal prisons, are they required? Well, I think we've talked about this. In fact, that they're not required to offer um, an extens- extensive list of reading materials, materials or anything. Though it is common for there to be a library that's accessible across multiple prisons. Maybe one prison has a library and the others get it. But I don't know if private prisons would for any reason have reading materials like classes or books they can check out so yeah it's it's kind of hard it really depends there's a lot of stuff that is dependent on the specific prison so then i guess to be really let's take a step back i didn't do any research on specific prisons as they're operating so my kind of like research has been a little bit more just a general general thing um, so I have a question about the providing like books and nice things for people in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like, I mean, maybe I think in an ideal world, both people in prison and children outside of prison have access to books. But we're in a place where I think I would I think we're still in a place where not all kids can have access to books. I think we talked about this in our education series. Mm-hmm. So, but. if we have a choice, if we have a choice of providing quality education through books to all the children versus providing books for all the criminals, I feel like I would pick Children, but it's not an either or because well, in, it's, it can't be a both and right now because we're broke. But it can be a at least prisons because consider the fact that a prison is one complex where everyone is living, whereas children live scattered across homes. They have parents that get to decide what comes into their home. In a prison, you can have a computer lab and you can have access to the Library of Congress, which has something like a million plus. No, many stop million the books. schools. Schools have need to have better supplies. That's what I'm saying. For that's kids. a room that they leave at the end of the school day. Like the school is eight to five at most, maybe eight to four thirty. But the kids leave and go home. Whereas with the prison, you You're could, saying criminals read through the night. I'm just saying that you could have a room. You could have one iPad in a prison that everyone gets ten minutes to read a chapter of a book on in a prison, and you could get people to. You could give people access to books in every prison in the country. Yeah. So I know we're talking about the goodness of books, but it's actually <laughs> way worse because oh, do tell. legally government prisons, um, courts have intervened, like have stepped in and there's laws about the types of medical care, mental care, and things that are like considered constitutional necessities, um, including okay food, um, like as in okay being like not, not food that's infest- infested with maggots, which happens in many private prisons pretty consistently. Yikes. Um, as, as well as like going back to like good medical and mental health care. That's just constant, that's considered constitutional rights for prisoners. Um, but private prisons aren't re- necessarily required to provide that because they're private and they're not public. So although it is, it is, you know, easy to like parse out about like 
books and educational programs in mm. prisons. There's actually way bigger yeah, we're problems. Talking about something we're talking basic. Maybe yeah, more yeah, basic. We're not talking about, oh, yeah. can maybe they read and, and be better? Okay, it's so like, should they eat rotten food? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. You shouldn't eat rotten food. Yeah. No one should eat rotten food. No, no. Unless you're stuck on an island and stranded and there's, never mind. <laughs> the only Please option see. is eating your Do friend. not. The cannibalism mm. episode. Yeah. Do not eat never your mind. fellow prisoner. Shout, ba- shout out to our own episode back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> back in a few episodes ago. So something that's very interesting is that the rate of violence is actually quite higher at private prisons. And recidivism, like that's the return rate of prisoners who mm. leave and come back, is at least the very same, but is oftentimes worse than in public prisons. And part of is there a percentage? I'm just curious. I don't. I don't have okay, a percentage. Okay, okay. I don't have a percentage. Um, this is information that I got from um, a paper written about a study, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I didn't tertiary. I source. didn't like. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I didn't go in and look or at secondary. all. Secondary. Secondary source. It's still a good word, though. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so part of the problem is is given to the fact that there are lower paid, lesser trained staff that are used in private prisons. So with that being said, let's, I'm sorry, I'm taking you on this back and forth train. No, but this is super interesting. Let's yeah. talk real quick about how, pro- how they work. Okay. So they're for-profit businesses. It's not a non-profit prison. It's a, they're all for profit. Of course. I'm going to picture it like Apple, that it's and Apple prison. They're bought and traded on the market. There's two of the biggest cor- There's two main ones and actually all private prisons in the States and most out of the States can be tied to five companies. But they have stock. They have stock that is bought and traded. Oh my goodness. And they are um, GEO and CCA, which is now known as Corsive. Um, are the two main ones. They, they own most private prisons in the States. So let's pretend it costs $100 for, to feed a prisoner. No, $200 to feed a prisoner. And then for like how, for okay. a, day, a day, a day, a day. Oh snap! And just so big money. Just just dude, for the sake of some, the argument. Some, dude, well, you're thinking it's not just food. It's also electricity. I'm sorry, housing, oh, okay. Oh, okay, medical okay, okay. care. Oh, so it costs two hundred to, cost to keep a person upkeep, a day. Okay? And she's just using this as an example for the money. I think, it's not yeah, exactly. no, I got it. I think it. it sure. I think it might be actually a little bit less, but like a, not a nice round number, so it's not as fun. Yeah, <laughs> no, two hundred. Okay. So two hundred dollars is what the government pays theoretically for prisoners a day. Okay. Um, and that includes all of the constitutional services being provided, food, electricity, payment for guards. You're, it's not just like going nowhere, right? It's not. It's going back into things that are needed. Yeah. Um, okay. And so now let's say Corsive is like, hey, if we can hire three less guards and we don't need to have as nutritionally beneficial of food, yeah, we can, the, we mm, can house them the, for 150 a day. And so they bid... To the government oh, yeah. that we can do it for 150, you pay us 150. Um, but really, they can do it for 100 because they're providing expired or maggoted food that they're getting from other places. They're firing their cleaning crew. They're yeah, doing all of these other things to yeah. increase profit margins. So at the end of the day, this place that a prisoner to be taking care of what we would consider the minimal of well for a prisoner for 200 a day is actually being taken care of for 100 a day, and their profit margin has doubled. This is literally the description, the first two paragraphs of Oliver Twist, the description of the poorhouse and how the poorhouse owner says that to the government that she needs 10 pounds per child to feed them each day and she's only using about three pounds to feed them and using 
watered down onions in order to give some level of sustenance. That's insane to me that the exact same thing is happening a hundred plus years later. Yeah, it's, it's pretty rough. With that, I think we need to take a break. We'll be right back. And welcome to the segment called Words Are Hard with Candace, where I share an interesting word or phrase. Today's word is visa, specifically travel visa, not to be confused with vista, as in a beautiful view, or vita, the Latin word meaning life. The word visa means an endorsement on a passport indicating that the holder is allowed to enter, leave, or stay for a specified period of time in a country. And it comes from the Latin phrase charta visa, meaning paper that has been seen. Visa. And welcome back. Before the break, we were talking about... um, Money. Yes, we were talking about money. We were talking about how for-profit prisons make their profit off of prisoners. Um, The only other thing that I would like to add is another thing that private prisons do is they house more prisoners than they're equipped to house to be able to increase the cost. So if they had... Decrease the cost. Yeah. No, no, no. To increase their profits. Oh, profits. To to increase the cost of the government. To Not necessarily to decrease overhead. They're still charging the government. 150 a prisoner. No, decreased cost for them. No, it doesn't. It, de- it increases their profit margin. Their costs would still go up, but they're overhousing them in places. So right? They're, they're still they're paying for the electricity. Oh, yeah. 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 I see what you're saying. You're still buying food yep. for them. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. now instead of having rooms of two, they have rooms of four. And now instead yeah. of having a rec room, they have six more prisoners. Yeah. And now instead of this, they have more. And so the, the thing that is also important to know about private prisons is they are not protected or they are not liable to the freedom of information act so they are not monitored by the public actually in any way at all because the public can't get information on what's happening in prisons um very easily there are some ways and some studies that have been done but it's very very hard and of course surprising no one any study that comes out that has said anything negative about private prisons the ceos of the two or three that are in the states or the five that are in the states say that's not what's happening you don't know what's happening and yet still lobby against freedom of information acts kind of going back to that idea of like them prisons trying to maximize profit um i think what makes that particularly frustrating is because they're doing it with human beings mm-hmm. because other companies i mean companies do this all the time where they try to make something for less or for cheaper that's why you ship things jobs to china because they can make it for cheaper or you can you try to i mean like jeff bezos is probably an expert on getting the most bang for your buck <laughs> called out jeff uh, give us a follow, but um, yeah, like companies do this all the time. But I think it's like it strikes us as inhumane because it's being done with human beings. Absolutely, it's the same thing as the as mining in mining industries in the 1930s and 40s yeah. and before that. They they weren't they really used protected. Kids. Yeah. They're using kids. They weren't um, keeping all safety measures yeah. because they'd be more expensive. Well, I think at that point they well yeah they weren't always aware though of like 
the steam yeah, but engine like could blow up. After but they, they were also aware, yeah, yeah, they like were thirties and forties yeah. after they were aware there were And that provided the backdrop for like communism. Because mm. Marx and Engels were like, this is messed help up. Help the worker. Yeah, help mm. the worker. So in because they're not um, beholden to the public, they are only really beholden to their shareholders and the bottom line, right? That's kind of how it comes down. You're beholden to people who are making money off of your prison. Are they? Do you feel like they're in some way beholden to the government? Because the government provides them with the prisoners. Provides them with their labor. But the government... Well, but I mean, if the government's like... You're doing shady stuff. First, I mean, first of all, the government may never figure out that they're doing shady stuff, and the government may never agree to do anything. (laughs) So that is kind of interesting because there's been lawsuits that have been filed against specifically CivCorp or CoreCiv. I can't remember the the one that used to be CCA um, Mm -hmm. Corporation of America Corrections Corporation of America CoreCivic. Yeah, it might be CoreCivic. And they admitted in the lawsuit to falsifying nearly 4,800 hours of stabbing records over a seven-month period, saying that they they were there so that their prisons were not overcrowded. Oh, dear. And they were not understaffed, but they saved, you know, their 4,800 hours, dollars, salary, salary, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, didn't get their contract pulled because it's still saving the government money in theory. So, ouch. Yeah, it's really, so maybe, but it's not because no one wants to be in the business of housing prisoners because prisoners are not perceived. It kind of goes back to that retributive versus rehabilitation. Mm. They're not perceived as um, valuable members of society. So Mm -hmm. who wants to foot the bill for housing these invaluable yeah. members of society. And what neighborhood wants to foot the land? Yeah. yeah. I mean, totally. that's so a I'm huge like, concern. Are way right? out in the middle of nowhere yeah. where you'd never pass them on a highway. Yeah. They're nowhere near town. I actually went to college in between two prisons. No way. And it was right next to, yeah, it was like so a police training facility Dang. and then two prisons, one state and one, um, I think one was like a low, a low, um, what do you, what do you call it? Low security and one was mm. a higher security mm. and uh there was once someone escaped from the low security and they had to do they locked down a, campus a chase they uh they didn't lock down campus <laughs> but there was like a whole group of people out looking for the runaway prisoner anyway mm. um <laughs> fun times <laughs> shout out salem oregon <laughs> anyway um another another problem like it, it, it's just problem after problem of course but another problem with them is that they often lobby against things that would help them um, re- have to report on things, including sexual abuse in their prisons. Oh, no. um, so lobbying against Freedom of Information Act helps like, keep the sexual abuse rates of guards to prisoners or prisoners to prisoners, which is also something that the prison can be held liable for under wraps. Um, and Under wraps? Like, kept, like, oh, kept, kept secret. It's an idiom. Oh, under wraps. Okay, yeah. got yeah. it. Yeah, no, no, I got it. Um, I know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> and and in fact, they're lobbying. They spend so much money on lobbying that they... Uh, so this was specifically lobbied at a time when sexual abuse was... There, someone was trying to ask for information specifically regarding the sexual abuse happening in the prison. They were able to lobby hard enough to keep them from having to follow the Freedom of Information Act to be able to do it because mm. they're private. So, like, they're putting enough money into places mm. to be able to prevent themselves from having to man, lobbyists, be man. accountable. Yeah. Lobbyists are the worst. Yeah. I mean, I guess you can lobby for good things, too. But it feels like every time I hear the word lobbying, it's 
with oil companies or with private prisons. It's just yeah, not the best. It's it's kind of rough. Um, yeah. So because of this lack of information, so that's like, I think its own kind of problem. I think there's two problems, right? I think there's the problem we could talk about like profit over ethics, which I think we're going to get to a little bit later. But this other problem is the lack of information and transparency. Mm. Um, And because of that, it's really hard for the U.S. to monitor prison, the abuse that's happening in prisons, either prisoner to prisoner or guard to prisoner. And it's also hard for them to monitor fraud, like billing 4,800 hours of unpaid, unused labor. So does that, so like you mentioned, I think a little earlier of the government saving money is, does, does the government save money by doing this? So the, I mean, like the alternative would be the government pays for these, the government owns these prisons, right? Which is the case, I think for federal prisons that the government runs it. Yeah. Like how much cheaper are we talking about? So they are in theory saving money for the government, but they're true purpose is really always just protecting their bottom lines. So so it's kind of it's like you're saying I can do it for 150. So, so they are saving the government money in the okay. sense because they they're are denying the constitutional money. rights. Yeah. But it's it's a kind of at what cost, right? Yeah. So no, that makes um sense. but the other problem is the other thing that's very interesting is that private prisons can bid for what types of prisoners that they're taking. And oh. so this is kind of where it becomes um interesting is that It wasn't interesting before. Now it's interesting. <laughs> so that there's some <laughs> Sorry, research Sorry listeners, you had to sit through 30 <laughs> minutes of boredom. boring stuff. But now it's exciting. Now it's exciting. Now we get to bid for people. <laughs> oh, yikes. Uh, yikes. I know, it's that's really... What, that's what... Yeah, right? I know. That's what they do. Yeah, when and so like inmates that. in states, profit prisons, um, actually, and for-profit prisons, actually don't cost less than the state-run prisons. And some cases cost as much as $1,600 more a year. Um Private prisons can also push down their costs by refusing to accept prisoners who have severe illnesses or histories of violence, which you can't at a state-run institution turn those people down. Same thing with the state education facility. costs more for the state prison to mm. run, right? So then maybe you're saving money. Oh, look, overall it's less yeah. money, but the state has to put yeah. out more because state they're only housing the worst, right? This includes putting down people who are, or this includes not taking people who are um, older, so they don't have to provide any kind of elder medical type care. care, medical care. Um, in fact, um, prison pr- for private prisons have mostly young people of color than public facilities do, um, because private prisons deliberately can exclude people with high medical costs from their contracts. So younger, healthier inmates that they've come in the system since the war on drugs was enacted and are disproportionately, of course, are people of color and older inmates who are generally come with a slew of health problems are white. So it's not that they're intentionally housing more people of color. They're choosing to house younger people and which because of systemic racism, which isn't what we're talking about right now, is disproportionately people of color. And we'll be right back after this break. Welcome to Jokes and Jocular Facts with James. Today's joke is, you know what always catches my eye? Short people with umbrellas. Today's jocular fact is, the world record for the most t-shirts being worn at one time is 260. That's right, 260. When Ted Hastings' son asked him whether he could set a, 
an official Guinness World Record, he decided to give it a try. And on February 17, 2019, he reached his goal by wearing 260 T-shirts at one time. Hastings was able to get 20 shirts on by himself, and after that, he required assistance from a team that helped him into sizes ranging from medium to 20X. Around the 150-shirt mark, there were concerns about Hastings' ability to breathe due to the weight of the fabric, but he was determined to keep going and beat the previous record of 257 shirts. This has been Jokes and Jocular Facts with James. Catch you next time. So before the break, we were talking about how private prisons kind of get to pick the type of people that they're going to run, which puts their costs low to increase their margins because they're choosing more healthier, younger people for their prisons. I feel like that's fair. I mean, they're mistreating prisoners is not good, but what exactly would be the problem with them picking the... Uh, the I mean, I think it makes sense to reduce costs that you want to not take on a, you know, 60-year-old guy or whatever. But I think the problem comes in when you're talking about how much it's actually saving the federal government because the federal government is now liable for the bills of only the most costly. Or not only, because not every state has private prisons. And but not every state... But they're not the most costly, right? Oh, oh, I see. The, the, gover- older, oh, the government, the government has to take the ones that are more, the ones that are more yep. costly and yep. higher security. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then again, not every state actually has private prisons. And not every state uses private prisons to the same rate. The states that have the highest rates of private prisons are um, the Texas, Florida, Georgia and New Mexico. So all, half of New Mexico's prisoners are in private facilities. But Texas, even though it's less than half of their population because Texas is massive, has the largest actual number of private yeah. prisoners. Two of those are along the border. Is there any correlation there? Well, private prisons are also... Because, like, drugs and... Private prisons are also do most... most De- ICE detainees Detain- go okay, to yeah. private prisons. Mm. I saw that graphic. Yeah. When I was, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm surprised Arkansas isn't on that list because I've seen a lot of articles about Arkansas doing shady stuff Arcan- with Arkansas is a little shady with their prisons, but it's not the highest. <laughs> mm. um, between Texas, Florida, and Georgia, You're not they, in the have, top four, they have 20% Sad. of all U.S. prisons are in Texas, Florida, and Georgia wow. together. Yo. Um, yeah. So when they began Florida? beginning... How is their space? The swamp. It's patrolled by the crocodiles. <laughs> <laughs> Crocodile prisons. Crocodile so guard. the U.S. Crocodile began guard. building oh, private man. prisons in 1983, right? And so from 95 to 2000, nearly one in four U.S. prisons opened were private. So just a lot. And Texas, Florida, and Georgia built 336 private facilities, which is 20%. But they're all run by, it says, you said there was it's five? It's GEO. I don't know the other three of their names. I know the but two it's, that it's do the most. But it's all like run by, like they're five all like connected. Companies. They're yeah. all in this together. Oh, yeah. Okay. That was a High School Musical reference. <laughs> or not. Or it was just a statement. Yeah. Or High School Musical ruined that phrase for everyone. Oh, yeah. I see. Okay. Just like the verb trump. Just like the phrase let it go. And let it go. Yeah. Anyways. You know Trump's name was Drumpf? His family name? Yeah. Before they moved here. It was Drumpf. And they changed Immigrants. it. Immigrants. Yeah, they a lot the of them done. had to... Yeah, a lot of no, them he cho- they chose to. Well, yeah. a lot of Trump's immigrants do to. choose to change their name because 
They want to lose. No one here can pronounce them. <laughs> like, I don't want to deal with you trying to say my name. My family changed their name when they moved here because my great grandfather was running away from his family, so mm-hmm. he took on his best friend's name oh, and came here. Oh, friendship. Yeah, but his friend stayed in Hungary. He didn't come with him. Okay. He stole he the name full. and left. What? Never mind. Uh, she said he was full because oh, oh, oh. he was from Hungary. Got it. Hilarious. Got it. I might cut this part out. <laughs> this Anyways. is very tangenty. <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah, let's keep going. Okay, back to prisons. So the biggest kind of, I think, where I see the problem with this is this is a, a, a to me personally, it's a clear cut case of profits over ethics. Um, I think we had kind of talked about this. Maybe, maybe it was off mic, but that... It's not really problematic when you're talking about someone cutting costs when it's a product. Like, you know, who cares how much of cost of how you can reduce the labor costs if you're as long as you're being ethical about it, right? For a water bottle, but it is a lot different, I think, when you're trying to cut costs for people who are still living. It becomes kind of this problematic, at least to me, this problematic thing, right? Where um, we're saying that the profit margin is more important than safety or, or the age of the people or working. the age mm. or the food or the services that are needed. And then on top of the whole thing, I actually disagree with the whole mindset of re- like prisons needing to be retributive and not rehabilitative. Like I, there's a lot of problems in the U S with getting um, rehabilitation up and going when it was first kind of like the, the main push, but Ultimately, in reality, it is a better way to look at our world, as if, at least from a Christian perspective, at least from my opinion, from a Christian perspective, it's a better way to look at the world as people as redemptive. And so mm. being able to provide redemptive opportunities for people, to me, seems the, the best mm. situation. And because it's not it hasn't been done well, it doesn't mean it can't be done well. Mm-hmm. But because the mindset has shifted so much since, you know, the 50s and during this, that push during the 60s, Cold War, civil rights, hippie era, right? Um, all of this push has come towards its rehabilitative, or not rehabilitative, um, retributive, right? We want to punish the criminal. And that has led us into an era of overcrowding in prisons, which has led us to the need, the actual legitimate need to have some of our governmental costs cut by, well, cut, you know, quote, quotation marks, it's not really being cut necessarily, and to the privatization of prisons. In 2016, the Justice Department actually announced plans to end the use of private prisons because of the concerns about safety and effectiveness at saving money compared to government-run facilities. But less than a year later, Attorney General Jeff Sessions reversed the plan. Oh, Jeff. Um, because... Even though private prisons account for a small overhaul percentage of America's incarcerated population, they have grown at a disproportionate rate, with an astounding 1,600% increase in their populations from 1990 to 2005. And with all of that, there has been um, there's been many cases of of they call it um, kids for cash, I think. Um, judging where private prisons pay judges to send kids into their juvenile delinquent halls so they can get more money. Um, So including people who maybe wouldn't have been given a prison sentence are being financially incentivized to provide prison sentences for population so that the prison can increase their profit margin. Mm. This, this is frustrating. I don't think frustrating is a steep enough word, but because Nike 
in like 2012, 2013, around that time, was um, there was a, a huge public uproar against Nike in the U.S. because Nike had a factory in the Middle East that was producing soccer balls. And the in the factory, they didn't have an age minimum or maximum minimum where student where people could work there so there were children who were working at it and arguments have been made that these children uh need needed to work at the facility because um their parents were old and it's not it's actually not weird for kids to work but because they were protecting them like the kids were able to get money they were being treated fairly in the facility it was just their age that was in question because a lot of them were uh, below uh 18 for sure so it boggles my mind that the public could be so publicly angry about a private company because it, ironically, is a public influence. Like, everyone sees Nike everywhere, so of course it gets found out. And yet, well, something that is private but not... I mean, I, I think there's a fundamental distinction in people's minds between someone who's break, broken the law and a child. Mm. Like... There's, there's an idea of innocence when you talk about the child, but mm. when you think about a criminal, like our, I feel like the human gut response is not, I want to pre- protect a criminal, right? right? But a, you want to protect a child. Right. So I think there's a distinction there, like, psychologically. But, but it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me, because if the concern is about whether or not a company is being run above water, so to speak, if that's the concern behind like don't don't let uh, nike have a factory in the middle east that's run mostly by adolescents versus a private prison here then how can the private prisons continue to run with this public information at least the the small details that we have about these private prisons how can it continue to run when it's so blatantly obvious that they are treating people as beasts, it sounds like. I think there's a lot of people who are upset by it. I think there's more... I would be willing to go out on a limb, and I would say I think there are more people in the U.S. who, A, if they knew all of the information... Because I think most... First of all, I don't think most people don't really think about it. Actually, I think the first time in recent history that it started actually being talked about by the general population was when Orange is the New Black came out mm. because of um, a Netflix show... Um, eh, it's iffy if you should or shouldn't watch it, but definitely talks about privatized prisons and a lot of the different details, a lot of the problems that are inside of them and the mm. turnover, or not not the, tur- but the changing of hands between government and private and how it can be really messy. Um, and I think that's like, what was that back like five, six years ago maybe is when yeah. it first came out. And I think that was when prisons started being talked about more, a privatization of prisons as being bad. So I think, first of all, it lacks any kind of coverage, really, from people don't know. You're not outraged because you don't really know about right. it. And, and then, you don't, I don't think you actively go out of your way to think about how criminals are being treated. No, mm-hmm. because like you said, I think that you are actually is another reason that people don't think about it. Because I, think I, that, I am personally. No, you personally, it's <laughs> no, no, your fault that people don't think reason. about it. Um, no, but you said people don't usually care as much when pe- when it's someone treating a criminal poorly for right. being a criminal. Mm-hmm. And even though... Because it's like they earned it. They even though it. juvenile delinquents are are unfairly often and and not, I'm not going to say across the board, but are unfairly treated in the private prison systems frequently. Um, They're still kids, you know, kids make stupid choices and that doesn't justify some of the stuff that kids do and have gone to prison for, including, you know, murder and things like that. But it, 
but they're still kids and they still need to mm. be they need to be taught and changed. And I also think because the American mindset is really solidly drilled into that idea of us versus them. Criminals need to be locked up so that we can stay safe. Criminals are mm. bad and they need to be punished for their badness and we need to be protected from their badness. I think that mindset's been true for most of world history. I think I th- I'm that pretty sure. it, it follows a thread, I think, throughout because we're people, we have justice written in our hearts, right? A part of our nature of God, right? Like the idea yeah. of this has gone wrong. Right. And, and you want to right the wrong. You want to yeah. right the wrong. Mm-hmm. But And then we go about it the most sinful way possible. <laughs> of course, right? Yeah. The most terrible way. And I think, and I, but I think if the mindset could shift hmm. more towards providing rehabilitative services, that it, it could, it could be better which which is biblical like david was a murderer god let him stay king and yeah people in power can do more illegal things and get away with it but like people knew that he murdered uriah a, a man uriah yeah like the, he people knew and well he was technically to the enemies murdered uriah david mm. just put him in the front he put him in the front in the middle where he knew he was going to definitely not def- i'm definitely not defending david's sin uh, of murder of well of well of, anyways yeah um but i that, think there's precedent of of redemption the whole bible is full of redemption it's like everything it's like the most story it's like freaking Saul and Paul, the most man. mild take on the Bible. There's a little bit of redemption. Guys, in I was there. talking about like logistically no, no, in crime, not in our souls, not in anything else. Just in like you committed a crime and he wasn't put in prison. Yeah. Just that. Like yeah. there is evidence for that that God sees that in people. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think, and I know we're not God, but yeah. I think in general, my ideas about prison, like you were earlier talking about. I think you have more a problem with it being private or I have a I have a problem with it being pri- private only because I have a profit a problem with it being profitable. Got it. I think I, I would be okay if it was I think it would be okay if it was a non-profit private thing. Gotcha. I I think I don't have a problem with it being f- with it making profit necessarily um because I I do think that if we do have a specialized prison that only takes a certain demographic or a certain like age group, it does cut costs. I think I'm okay with that concept. I'm not okay with them mistreating prisoners or flying under under the radar with doing shady things. So mm-hmm. I but I don't necessarily think that that it has to be a problem with the private part of it. I do think we need prison reform in general. Um, but part of me also thinks that like that's going to be really hard to accomplish with their lobbying, right? With mm. all the money that the government has infe- invested in these systems, because if like let's say we do away with all private prisons, all this money that's gone into building these facilities, all the land that's been bought, like I mean, there and there are people that work there, right? These guards have jobs there, and so. Like I don't want to. I don't want. I don't think it's fair to say like, oh, we're in too deep. We shouldn't fix it. But it's going to be a really hard issue to tackle, especially if the average person doesn't think about. Yeah. Like, how can I? Like, no, I. I've, I've never woken up thinking like, how can I improve the prison a prisoner's system. life today? Yeah. Because we don't run into them. Right. right? I don't see them because they're wherever in prison. In prison, right? And you know, part of that's the point, right? I don't want to see criminals <laughs> walking around, but you know. Ooh, that's the mindset I need to change. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no. 
So you said something I think is really important. I mean, you said a lot of important things, but I think one thing that connects well, thank you. to what I was thinking of before is that we have to fix the lobbying problem. There's actually no no real laws against uh, pub uh, public officials, like government officials, accepting money from companies. Like, we have campaign laws that say yeah. companies can't give you money for campaigns that are certain, like, there's laws around that, but there's no money, there are no laws against a oil company. Basically bribing the government. Bribing, yeah. Know. So who knows how many public officials are being paid off by these private prisons yeah. and ones that are in charge of deciding whether or not they should be required by law to follow the Federal Information Act, like, or Freedom of Information Act. That is horrifying, and that is the crux of the problem. If we can start with officials, which everyone has the power to vote, so if you can vote for things that give more transparency for the finance of public officials, do it, because that is causing people to suffer in private prisons. But I also think that it would, if we want it to stay a private prison, then all they have to do is make it legal for prisoners to have unions. Same thing as the minors, same thing as um, the, the newsboy riot of the early teens in New York. Like, as long as you let people unite, and yes, it's prisoners, so you probably wouldn't want them to have a union, then something else has to change. You've got to give them the freedom to speak. We have been talking about this, you know, for a while, and I think it's kind of hard because I don't actually think, although I'm not usually like a private person. I mean, see anything that we've talked about private versus public. I'm not generally in favor of privatizing things that should be government services. Um, I do think that it's a hard, a hard thing to find because human lives are at stake. So um, I kind of just want to end with this quote from Sean Bryant. He says, the capitalist mindset says that anytime an industry can be run privately, it's better for the economy. The socialist mindset says that the government should be supplying those services. And the realist says that the prison system is overcrowded as it is. Um, and with that, I encourage you to vote, as Candace said earlier, for policies that um, maybe would stop some of the overcrowding in prisons and be able to be better ethical world for everyone. And a more transparent world. And once again, you've reached inconclusive end of the inconclusive podcast. Sharing is caring. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends and family. Also, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Inconclusive Podcast. Talk, Talk to, to you, you next time. time.